Welcome to Live Bullions episode five. My name's Costa. I'm joined by my co-host Alex. How you doing, Costa? Not too bad. Uh, today we are joined by Mon Vintage Gamer. Mon Vintage Gamer is a game developer at Night Dive Studios. He used to be known as Lantis on the original Xbox scene, and he's also running his own YouTube channel, Mon Vintage Gamer, which talks all things retro and vintage. Uh, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me on, fellas. Great to be here, and it's awesome to uh, talk to a couple of Aussies again, mate. It's been, <laughs> I'm telling you, it's been it's been a, it's been a minute since I have. So uh, I really appreciate uh, you guys having me on the show. Fantastic. So just for those out there who don't know who Mon Vintage Gamer is, um, we thought, you know, how about you just go through, tell us about how you sort of got started. I know you're a big uh, advocate and uh, developer in the homebrew scene. Um, mm-hmm. How'd you get started into that? And then how'd that sort of lead you into the more traditional game development stuff? Yeah, good question. Um, I'll try to keep it brief. There's a lot to cover, but I'll, I'll kind of just touch over it. But when I... Um, when I graduated from college or university back in, in the early nineties, I, I did a computer science degree. And when I got out of college, I just kind of took regular IT jobs, you know, working just, you know, for, for um, just regular companies doing business software development and stuff like that. But as someone who grew up as a gamer, like I was, uh, I was a kid that loved, you know, the Commodore 64, the Amiga and, and then um, the super Nintendo and, and all that stuff. I've always been into games and, um, when the original Xbox came out was pretty much when the homebrew stuff really started because as someone who was like a a gamer and I like PC games at the time, um, the Xbox or the original Xbox was something that was, it was like, it was like a PC in the living room, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And it felt really, I kind of was really drawn to it because it it seemed like it took the best parts of a PC and it just made it a, you know, part of your entertainment center. Mm -hmm. So when I bought one, um, I quickly realized that there was like this, this scene that was, you know, basically hacking the thing to pieces. Um, and there were already people running homebrew on it. So I wanted to get involved in it. I didn't really know where to begin, you know, and, um, but having, having a, a software development background, I kind of figured that I had half a chance of writing some homebrew and, and seeing if I could get it to work. So I bought an Xbox, I got it all modded up and, um, I started um, writing, um, well, porting over some emulators over to yep. the original Xbox. And I, I quickly realized that, you know, I, I was pretty good at it. You know, like it wasn't something that I, I was struggling with. Like I learned DirectX pretty quickly. I learned um, the APIs and I learned the hardware very quickly. And and that's pretty much how the homebrew stuff started. And from there, it, it kind of once the original Xbox kind of died off, I moved over to did some stuff on the GameCube for a while. Mm. And I did some PSP homebrew development, did Xbox 360. Um, recently I've dabbled with the switch as well with some homebrew stuff. Um, so I've been, yeah, I've been kind of doing it for many, many years. And the way that it kind of transitioned into game development was it was really, I just kind of got noticed, you know, like mm. um, I think the, the one thing that, that stood out, that really got me noticed was I think about two years ago now I ended up messing around with the switch and I did a port of Diablo to the switch yep. and um, it actually got picked up by like Kotaku and um, some big kind of media publications. Yeah. And I was a little nervous cause I wasn't sure if Nintendo was going to come after me and, and basically take it, take it all, take it all down. Yeah. But the, the publicity was really good. Um, I actually got, um, 
yeah, I mean, I got Night Dive. They uh, reached out to me and and asked, you know, would you would you be interested in, in uh, helping out with some of our projects? And mm. that's pretty much how it all started. I mean, it was you know, um, it was through the homebrew stuff that ultimately got me you know a spot in in the industry. So. Wow, wow. And and what was the first bit of homebrew you wrote? Like what you see was an emulator or Yeah, so I mean I, I was messing around with, you know, some some simple programs, you know, just some 3D stuff just to get a feel for because I didn't know DirectX, right? Yeah, so yeah. if you if you if you want to learn how to write software on the Xbox, you need to learn DirectX. I mean it's it's part of it's part of the system. So mm. Um, you know, I did some basic stuff, right. You know, spinning cubes and, and yeah, yeah. texture mapped, uh, you know, 3d scenes. But, um, yeah, the, the first thing I actually did and kind of released was a super, super Nintendo emulator, um, awesome. which, which really got, um, it, man, it, it, it just kind of took off. Like mm. I didn't realize how, how many people wanted something like that, you know, yeah, because yeah. for me, like if I'm working on a project, um, this sounds a little selfish, but I'm doing it for myself, yeah. you know, because yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to play, you know, Super Mario World on my big television, yeah, exactly, right? Exactly. Before, you know, anyone else. Yeah. So I didn't realize how, how, you know, how well accepted and how awesome, you know, people really liked the work and it kind of just kind of snowballed from there, you know. Mm-hmm. And and like original Xbox, I mean, it's still being used as, you know, that, um, well, may, maybe not not so much in the past few years, but it was still used as the sort of, the, you know, the king of all emulators and, and all yeah. the way up to 64, it could be emulated. So it's, yeah. it's uh, you know, a pretty solid machine as well. So it, one of the things that I love seeing is like how you, you, you live stream porting uh, Xbox games, you know, porting games <laughs> to the Xbox. That's um, right. What was it, do you think, that made the, you know, the original Xbox so uh, popular for Homebrew? Was it the fact that it was just so similar to a PC or? Yeah, yeah. I think so. Um, not, But not just that. I mean, it was very similar to a PC, so if you had code running on x86 you could you could get it over to the xbox without too much trouble but it also had all the features that most consoles at the time didn't so you had built-in networking um so you could do all sorts of cool stuff with tcpip you had um you know at the time you had a a big hard drive eight gigabytes i mean we 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 kind of laugh at that now (laughs) um but and you had uh, enough memory to do kind of kind of cool stuff you know so other other systems like the ps2 and the gamecube you know you had like you had memory cards right um you know what i mean didn't really have any mass storage not for a while Mm. so the xbox pretty much had it all in in one package and and i think coupled with x86 made it very desirable for um you know for homebrew development yeah sort of like the step up from the from the dreamcast that actually had but it actually had ethernet built built right in and, and it had a hard drive built right in as well exactly um, how have you found sort of the, you know, the, the reaction to you, you live streaming, um, you, you know, your programming efforts? <laughs> um, mostly, well, I got, I got to say it's, it's a little nerve wracking, you know, yeah. like, I mean, think about it. Like if you, if you write code, even just day to day, it's pretty stressful as it is. So now yeah. you've got like, you know, a thousand people watching you <laughs> do it. Yeah. And there's always, you know, someone in, in the chat, like telling you, do it this way instead. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's, it's a little nerve wracking, but I will tell you, I'll fill you in a little secret. I usually do a quick dry run before I, I live stream. So I'm not going in completely blind. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like I, I want, I want some kind of payoff at the end of it. So mm-hmm. I'll, I'll usually whip up a quick proof of concept and make sure that, you know, what I'm going to do is, 
is going to have some type of reward. Um, and then I'll kind of, I'll walk through the whole thing. Um, because I mean, but there, there are people that live stream live coding sessions yeah. on Twitch and stuff. And I mean, they sit there all day and do it. And I have, I have nothing but respect for people like yeah, that. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't do that, man. Honestly, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, That's the thing. It's like, it's like you got all these people watching over you constantly have, you know, they're, they're, they're looking over your shoulder, just sort of judging you. Yeah. With yeah, exactly it's, it's it's like code reviews you know <laughs> exactly. um, pretty much for the whole for the whole duration so <laughs> hours, yeah. yeah and there's always someone in the chat that's like oh you should have done this instead you know well, why'd you flip this bit or why'd you do yeah. that and and you know you get confused and stuff so but uh, yeah. it's fun i like it i mean uh, yeah it's 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 an interesting thing to do uh, i'll probably do more of them um mm. but it's not it's definitely not you know my bread and butter stuff my normal stuff that i yeah. would normally do yeah you know? Yeah, I've been loving all your videos lately on um, the, well, I saw the leak uh, last week by Nintendo and then you did it a couple months ago as well with uh, some of the other leaks that were going on. What is it with, with all these leaks coming out, so, you know, lately, like from Nintendo source code to Xbox yeah. original uh, BIOS stuff, everything? Yeah, so the Nintendo stuff um, is interesting. It's It's, from what I understand, and I'm, I talked about this in my video, but someone out there was able to hack into one of Nintendo's partners um, that had basically source code repository with a lot of, you know, Nintendo first party source code and assets and stuff like that. So Nintendo themselves weren't hacked directly, but because, you know, this third party was, um, they ended up, you know, with a lot of stuff. And, and mm. what I've heard is, this is just the tip of the iceberg. Like I keep hearing that they're sitting on like, and I don't know if this number is accurate, but like five terabytes worth of data. Yeah. Um, so there's like GameCube stuff, you know, more Wii, there's Wii U stuff. Um, all this stuff is still coming apparently. So that's, that's pretty scary. I mean, if, if I was Nintendo, I'd be feeling a little yeah. nervous about that. Like the early stuff that they've leaked so far, um, you could, you could say, you know, it's not really hurting their brand very much. It's not really hurting it's, them. Yeah, yeah. But once you start leaking, you know, we, we, you, um, yeah. that's when, that's when things are different because there's still probably a lot of patents and stuff right mm -hmm. now that are still very much active. Yeah. So they may start, you know, coming down on that. The, the Xbox leak, um, I don't really know where that, where that came from. Um, I'd heard about, I'd heard about it um, earlier this year and I did cover it because one of the things I like to do on the channel is there's all this kind of hype around leaks, you know, like, Oh, you know, we've got the source code for everything. You know, we can compile everything yeah, 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 on yeah. every platform. But when you kind of dig into some of this stuff, you quickly realize that it, it's not all the way it seems sometimes like the Nintendo um, the Nintendo, the recent ones, the N64 leaks, mm. most of the source code was incomplete. Yeah. Um, and that wasn't really communicated very well in in you know main mainstream media sites and stuff like that. They just said the source code for Ocarina of Time is available. It's like, well, it's not because <laughs> half of it's missing. You know, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. you can't compile it. But on the flip side, there were a lot of interesting discoveries that that happened. And look, I, I don't know where these are coming from, but what I've heard is there's more to come. So it's insane to, see how that plays it's insane out. to think that that's some part like, you know, these partners out there are, are holding source code from so long ago. And like, it's, it's yeah. such a, such a, it goes for all the way from the, from the early nineties to, to now they've got all this stuff just sitting there. It's, it's insane true. To think you about, know, yeah. like you hear these stories about square Enix, you know, um, Final Fantasy VIII and Parasite Eve, those kind of 90s PlayStation games, 
they literally threw the source code out. You know, they literally threw the the tape drives out with the code yeah. on. You know, and they, you can't you can't recover yeah. them. Yeah. But to Nintendo's credit, I mean, they kept everything. You know, yeah. literally from from the first day, yeah. they've got everything backed up. So that's yeah. that's actually a really good thing for them. You know, when when this all started, it reminded me of when Hendrix's posthumous albums were getting released and yeah. the family was so annoyed. They're like, it was around for three years. He put out yeah. what he wanted. And for like the last 40 years, it's just been nonstop. So yeah. for a game developer, it's really exciting to see all these leaks, but it does have that moral, like um, Nintendo knew what they wanted to release. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Like, part of me felt like I shouldn't cover it because I'm just kind of in, in some ways it felt like I was just throwing, you know, fuel to the fire almost, but on the flip side, I think, you know, what I really wanted to to convey was this is what, this is what actually is part of this, not what you're reading in, you know, on websites because the websites would just say source code to, you, you know, have? Zelda is, has been leaked, which is not, it's not wrong, but it's not accurate either, you know. But there's, I mean, there's whole scenes out there, like there's whole websites out there which cover and recover old old games, like betas that never got released or games that were unreleased. Like there's, there's a whole scene out there. So I don't think, yeah, you know, I, I don't feel like you did anything uh, yeah. wrong by covering it. I mean, I think, you know, right. you're giving it, you're giving it justice because you're actually talking about what exactly was leaked and not just, you know, for headlines and clickbait titles and that sort yep. of stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. And, and I guess it's, it, uh, it, it sort of, you know, sort of leads into how, like I saw a couple, couple months, months ago, was it the, the super Mario 64 got recompiled on, on, was it on windows and like on every single platform basically is that was that to do with that leak or no no so um mario uh, super mario 64 was actually reverse engineered so um it's a project that's been going on for about probably about four or five years now so essentially someone took the rom and i'm being very very simplistic but um basically reverse engineered the whole thing into you know portable c code so yeah. that code is it's all clean room which which means that there's no proprietary nintendo libraries that are being linked to or there's no there's nothing that was you know that is traced back to nintendo's libraries or apis yeah. so nintendo they they really don't have a legal standpoint to to take that down so, but the, the the side effect of well, not the side effect, but the good part about the recompilation project is, is that the code's so portable, you can pretty much bring it on any any piece of hardware that has a 3D API. So, um, you know, it's it's arrived on the PC. I know someone did a port for the Switch illegally yep. on Homebrew. Um, I heard just the other day that someone ported it to the 3DS. Uh, oh, wow. Well, so yeah, I mean, I, I want to see one for the Dreamcast. I think that'd yes. be really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm kind of kind of hoping for that. Um, if I, if, dude, if I had more time on my hands, <laughs> I'd probably, <laughs> I'd probably do it myself. But um, I want to see like you live streaming. I want to see you live streaming. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that, see that, that's one of those pro, that's that's one of those live streams that would go bad quickly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's um it's an interesting project, and there's other Nintendo 64 games that are currently being um decompiled as well reverse engineered 
so there's more to come in that in, in with that team. They're doing some amazing work. Awesome, awesome. And and have out of these leagues that have come out over, over the past few months, has there been any developments from that? Like, has, have, has anyone sort of messed with it, or they're too scared to mess with it? Apart from like putting Luigi in the game, which was yeah. something people were really excited about, yeah, yeah. Um, nothing, nothing particular stands out. But I think it's it's still very early days. Like right now, it's people are still kind of hyped that you know you can compile Super Mario sixty four on, on other on other architectures and other hardware. Yeah. But you know, I would expect to see some really cool stuff coming mm. out of that project. Um, you know. I've heard uh, there's been some two player split screen type things that have happened, but um, you know, there's probably like no one's built like any new custom levels for the game or anything like that. And now you have the ability to do things like that, you know? Yeah. I'd like to see like a super Mario maker type type thing where you can build your own levels and piece them together. That'd That'd be be amazing. That'd be pretty good. Yeah. Um, And uh, you know, a lot of your videos are around security exploits in, in games and consoles for, for devs that are sort of upcoming, you know, what do you see are the biggest sort of uh, risks that they face in terms of going and exploiting? I know that there was a lot of issues like a couple of years ago with Sony mm-hmm. over the PS3 and, and all that sort of stuff. But what do you sort of see as the issues? I think right now, I mean, security on, on systems is pretty well locked down. Um, if you look at current generation, switch aside, of course, which got hacked pretty much the first day. Um, I would say that, you know, stick to your first principles. I mean, if you're, if you're a developer and you're worried about um, your stuff getting leaked or your stuff getting hacked, um, there's really good crypto APIs these days that, that will really obfuscate lots of information away from, from prying eyes, you know? So, um, but from a hardware perspective, you know, uh, Xbox one, I mean, I've heard some stories, but hasn't been hacked yet, honestly. I mean, there's been a couple of exploits that have occurred, but the way that systems are these days, those types of things can be can be patched pretty much immediately yeah. without, you know, any significant downtime. And things are a lot different these days. I mean, crypto is is is, you know, so secure that that if it's done correctly, it's it's almost impossible. I don't want to say impossible, yeah. but it's it's very, very difficult to, to break into, you know. Do you think it also is just that there's just not the effort there? You know what I mean? Because it's, I mean, some of these consoles like Xbox One, I know you could sort of your own, in your own uh, time with your own dev, like with your own kit, you can turn it into a dev kit basically. Mm. I mean, you get limited access to RAM and stuff, but yeah, if you want, you can do it your own and they're just sort of, yep, you know, go ahead and do it. So you think it's a mentality of just, you don't want to put the effort in, you know, these people don't want to put the effort in as well. That's a good point. Like, you know, when, when the original Xbox came out, everyone wanted a homebrew on it. And then on the 360, you know, Microsoft heard and saw what was going on. So they opened up, you know, the XNA stuff um, mm-hmm. for the 360. And now on the Xbox One, you're right. There's there's the dev mode, right? You pay, I think it's 20 bucks. And yeah. you can pretty, I mean, you don't get all access to the entire system, but you get enough access yeah. pretty much to do what you want on there. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the homebrew community has always been about freedom and basically yeah. being allowed to do whatever you want. I mean, you you own the hardware or you, you're supposed to, you're supposed to own the hardware, yeah. but you can't do anything on the hardware. You know, yeah. you have this kind of binding end user license agreement that lets you basically play games and that's it. So, you know, I think the homebrew community has always just wanted 
you know, more freedoms. And once, you know, once those are given to you, then yeah, there, there's really no desire to, to, yeah. to really, you know, start taking the, the system apart and trying to figure out a way to get into it. Yeah. And, you know, if you look at like the PlayStation three, when they had Linux on there and then they took it away, um, yeah. that's when, that's when the, the system got hacked because people, you know, there was a concerted effort of not just people that wanted to run Linux on there, but there was hackers and there was also people that, um, you know, were kind of in both camps. And so, so many people kind of rallied around the fact that they took this really important feature away and, you know, what are we going to do about it? We're going to, we're going to, we're going to try to bring it back ourselves. And that's what they did in the end, yeah. you know, that was a whole, I remember the, the way that sort of came out and then there was all the other stuff going on with uh, anonymous or it just yeah, turned into a, such a unnecessarily big, uh, big issue as well. Um, Definitely. How do you see the the homebrews scene? The homebrew scene sort of changed, you know, over the past few years. Like, how has it changed? Do you think the mindset of these companies, like Sony, Nintendo, have changed? Well, um, I guess there's two two things I can say there. As far as how homebrew um, is these days, like I, I, like I said, I've dabbled in the Nintendo Switch stuff and it seems very familiar to me. Like nothing really has changed as far as the way things are done, you know, in the homebrew circles, but mm -hmm. as far as the companies, they're starting to embrace, you know, that, that concept of let's bring these old games back um, and, and run them under emulation, you know? So you see like digital eclipse do um, collections. You see M2 Nintendo have their own collections of, you know, super Nintendo games and, and yeah. NES games on the remix, there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you got the remix stuff. So finally, you know, these companies are starting to embrace, you know, running emulation and, mm. and bringing these games back. So um, it's, it's definitely not something that occurred overnight, but I think, you know, they're starting to see the value of, you know, um, these old classic games and there's definitely still a market for those, for those games, you know? Yeah. Do you think we'll see a sort of drop in, in the, the efforts as well of homebrew? If, if you start seeing more digital games from Nintendo and from Xbox and, you know, the old school stuff coming back. Yeah. Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think there'll always be a, a homebrew, alter, homebrew alternative to everything. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. Some some recent examples I can think of was on the Switch, we've seen official releases of Doom Three, yeah. and we've seen like official releases of Doom Sixty Four, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, and both of those exist in a homebrew capacity as well. Um, and you know, they're I don't want to say they're as good, but they're they're pretty close. You know, like yeah. they 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 look and they run just as yeah. well. But they are missing some features, of course, yeah. notably around the networking stuff. But I guess there'll always be, uh, you know, a, a homebrew alternative, you know, where we're applicable, you know, to some mm -hmm. of these projects, you know. Yeah. And then I saw I saw Nintendo was censoring your videos last year, specifically around uh, the, the homebrew stuff that you were talking about. Is it, uh, I know you mentioned that they've got, you know, sort of good intention with bringing things back, but there's still that sort of, homebrew isn't seen as uh you know or legal or it's not seen as uh, something that's ethical with, with yeah. uh, these these companies yeah the, everything that went down with nintendo last year was was interesting um after the fact i got some really good information and ultimately their biggest issue and if i had known this going in i probably would have done things a little different mm -hmm. was that they took they took issue with 
their first party games being shown on a video that was running on a hacked switch. Yep, yep. That's where they took offense to it. So if I was running third party games and did if I basically just swapped out everything with with third party games, they wouldn't have they wouldn't have cared. Yeah. Um, so they, they didn't like that, you know, I was running Super Mario 64 under N64 emulation on a Switch. Um, a lot of people were, were, were thinking that, well, maybe they're, they're about to bring, you know, N64 games to the Switch. But, I mean, dude, it's been two years. We, we, I'm still waiting for it, you know. So, I want that too. Yeah, yeah. yeah, right. But, um, look, I, I, I was, at the time when that all went down, I was pretty annoyed. Uh, I felt like, you know, my, my, you know, it was a fair use issue and I was well in within my rights to do so. Mm-hmm. But the more I kind of sat down and thought about it, you know, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, Nintendo cares about their brand, you know, and um, they'll do pretty much anything they can to protect their brand. So I didn't feel like I was like, initially I felt like it was a personal target mm-hmm. towards me, mm-hmm. but as as I kind of dabbled, you know, d- dug into it more and I saw it happening to others as well, I quickly realized that, you know, this is this is a business thing. This has nothing to do with, yeah. you know, with with me or anything like that. So um, I've, I've been very, very careful, you know, since then. And I mean, the other thing is, you know, I work in game dev now and I, I work with real Nintendo development hardware. So yeah. I'm, I'm a registered Nintendo developer. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, those things also come into play as well about what, what I, what I show on, on my videos these days, you know? Yeah. So they were even annoyed with like, uh, older like games. You're running first party games from like the SNES. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, yeah, yeah, it didn't matter. Like, and that's the thing, you know, if you're going to, and I tell this to anyone, if you want to do YouTube content on, on homebrew stuff or, mm. um, you know, hacked, hacked, you know, systems, Nintendo systems, keep the first party stuff out of there. Um, yeah. it, it really will make you, um, you know, uh, walk away without any issue. Otherwise they may come after you. Well, that's the thing. Where does the, where's the line there that, you know, the, the legal line where you can, what you can yeah. show, you can't show. And, you know, you can even, like, you can show running backups of games and, you know, who knows, like, yeah. yeah. The, the, the problem is, YouTube is a, is an interesting platform because they they don't actually get involved in fair use disputes. Yeah. So when when this all went down, I filed a I filed an appeal, which got rejected. But the way it works is Nintendo doesn't actually adjudicate on on this at all. It's between you and the other party, right? So unless you get a lawyer um, and fight it in court, um, the chances of you actually win. Yeah pretty low yeah so it's it's you know a lot of people that do youtube um aren't happy about that process because it feels like people can take advantage of you and in some ways it's actually true yeah but um you know hopefully you know one day um they'll they'll change it around so it's it's more in favor of the creator because you know a lot of the times it does feel like we're being unfairly treated unfairly targeted when when things like that happen yeah that's what i was going to say it seems like a bit tipped in their favor it was whatever they rule is whatever they rule as opposed yep. to uh you know let's let's discuss it or find out what's actually happening here it's just someone claims something and then that's about it it's out yeah. of your hands yeah absolutely more more towards uh your own personal career how did you sort of find moving from australia to mm-hmm. to the u.s uh, not as bad as you you would think, actually. Um, so I moved over here um, 
because I, I met a woman who is now my wife uh, of many, many years. Uh, and um, yeah, I mean, coming from a big city in, in living in Melbourne, being yeah. raised in Melbourne, Australia, moving over here, there, there's some things that are different in, in the US. Um, but the way the way business is done here, the way work, you know, um, is, is very, very similar, something I'm very kind of familiar yeah. with. And, you know, there, there are definitely things that took some adjustment, you know, especially, you know, food and things like that. But um, getting kind of assimilated into living here is hasn't really been been that bad. It's 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 I mean, it's been a long time since I moved over. here. It was 2006. But um, a lot of the things were, were very familiar to me. And I think that really helped. You know, I never I never got that feeling where I, I felt like I had, you know, what's the word where you just you just wake up one day and you freak out like you don't know where you are type of thing. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I never got that feeling where I just felt like, you know, I didn't, didn't belong or anything like that. It was, it was just something that kind of happened kind of naturally. And like I said, you know, with the way that work is, is here where you work um, most, most places you work, you know, if you've worked and lived and worked in Australia, mm. it's very, very, very familiar. Yeah, you know? yeah. So it's a very, it's a very similar sort of, environment and culture and that sort of stuff as well definitely yeah definitely do you come visit back to australia every now and then yeah every year actually except this year obviously it's um yeah yeah i'm kind of waiting for restrictions to uh to lift and um you know uh but i usually travel to melbourne uh, once a year and visit visit the folks and um last time we were there we 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 did uh new zealand as well for a few days and awesome. but yeah i love i love going going back to australia it's yeah. you know, it's home you know so it's it's good to hear that you haven't lost the uh, the aussie accent <laughs> <laughs> no i i some some people say that i've i've like got a, a, a you know a little um twinge of a, a u.s accent at the end of it but i don't yeah. think i ever lost it no no i i can't hear it i think it's still all aussie <laughs> that's good uh, yeah um, in terms of uh, Night Dive Studios, uh, how long have you been there now? So that started um, about three months ago now. And, yeah, it's been about three months. I, I'm very much, um, uh, you know, new to the company. But, um, unfortunately, I can't talk about the projects that we're working on. But just take a look at what, what they've got planned and you can, you, you can kind of get a sense of what, what we do there. But, um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a good place to work, and um, still very new and, and learning about um, you know the way that development is done in a team. Because I mean, this is really my first ever kind of game dev job, you mm-hmm. know, in in a traditional sense where you know you, you're working with a team of professionals that that have done game dev for, for many years. So I will say that when I first started there, it was a little intimidating, um, not because of my skill set. I mean, I, I I'm pretty confident, and I know. Um, how to write code pretty well. I've done it for many years, but just, you know, doing stuff solo as a homebrew dev um, versus being in a team where there's a little more structure around, um, you know, things, certainly, you know, there's definitely a learning curve there, but it's, it's been awesome, man. Uh, the team has been fantastic, more than welcoming. Um, they're, they're all fans of my channel as well, which, yeah. you know, which, which makes it, which yeah. makes it good. So, um, but uh, it's, it's been, it's, it's an awesome place to work. And honestly, um, if you asked me before uh, I started working there, you know, what, what studio would you like to work for? They would have been one of the, you know, one, the top ones on the list because mm-hmm. I'm one of those people. I mean, as you know, I, I love, I love retro stuff, right? It doesn't mm-hmm. matter if it's emulation or um, ports or, or whatever. Um, and night dive obviously, 
you know, they, they basically bring back old franchises and yeah, you know, make say, them, make yeah. them more modern again and give them a fresh coat of paint. So, you know, that's, that's definitely something that really appeals to me. Yeah. And that, that's at the core of night though. I mean, they, they, they pick up old, you know, licenses, old games and they'll, they'll bring them and port them to a new, to a new uh, console and that sort of stuff. So um, yeah, I feel like that's, you know, the fact that you're, <laughs> your live stream porting uh, games it's yep. yeah, right within your, your wheelhouse as well absolutely and did they do doom you guys did doom 64 as well yes uh that was earlier this year um when um doom eternal came out back in march i want to say they also kind of shadow dropped doom 64 yeah for um for all systems i think it was yeah i played it on switch it's like yeah it's amazing it's really good yeah, it's it runs really day. smooth yeah yeah, that, that's that's the that's the great part about working um, for Night Dive is everyone there is really passionate about games. I'm not saying other studios aren't, but they we we basically put so much care and attention into you know if we're gonna if we're gonna bring a game back from from the depths of you know you know from many many years ago, we're going to enhance it you know and make it mm. the best possible experience that you can. Um, but um, without losing anything that made it so awesome in the beginning. Yeah. So you don't, we don't necessarily want to, you know, change the engine or something mm -hmm. and use like mm -hmm. Unreal or something. But um, we definitely want to bring bring it to a more modern audience and, and with modern features. And um, Nighttime is really awesome at doing that. You know, yeah. they've done some really awesome work in the past. Because I noticed they've got their own engine as well that they've maybe developed in-house as well, which just, yep. that, is it that things get ported to that or is it... Um, you know, how does it work with that? So the engine's called Kex, and the Kex engine was used when they um, got the license for Turok. So mm -hmm. they, they released, um, if you recall, they did um, Turok 1 and 2 on the Switch. Yeah, they did, yeah. Um, so they, they basically before, before that, they had, I don't want to call them engines, but they had, I'll say a, a library of, uh, of APIs that they use, but um, the Kex engine is essentially the engine that's used to basically modernize these, these old, you know, IPs. So um, it's, it's all, you know, C, C++ code, but um, yeah. it, it really just encapsulates all the, all the things that you want to bring across to a more modern, you know, um, architecture. And is it really like uh, flexible in terms of you can, it's, you know, portable, you can put it on switch, you type with the switch APIs to Xbox to, to everything else. Yeah. It's, it's very, very portable. It's um, it's got, yeah, it's got all the hooks into all the current generation systems and the next generation systems as well. So doom 64, um, I wasn't there when, when that released, but I, I, I think I'm right in saying that, it came out on the same day for Switch, PS4, Xbox One, um, and PC. Yeah, and that's to the that's to the power of the Kex engine. It's it's mm. very very you know very portable across all those environments. Is that available to the like to companies who want to use it, or is it just an in house thing? Uh, it's all internal at the moment. Okay. Um, I, yeah. I don't know if, if that's something that that would be considered to um, you know to license out, but yeah. at the moment it's all internal stuff. Yeah, and, and I noticed even Night Dive did like <clears throat> I know they do a lot of like adventure games from the nineties. Even do like Putt Putt, which yep. who would have thought that would be you know brought forward <laughs> and ported into the modern world as well? Yeah, I mean. Um, Stephen Kick, the CEO, he, he's a real passionate um, PC gamer, you know, yeah. and and. 
anything that that you know could be brought back and and sold on GOG or Steam, um, if there's you know if there's uh, an avenue to do so, mm. he'll probably go ahead and do it. So um, nothing surprises me with yeah. with it. Honestly, I wonder if we'll see like a drop in the you know the pricing of a lot of those old school nineties boxed games, which yeah they've gone like to insane prices. I've heard. Well, yeah, I mean. They they just released um, the System Shock, um, uh, you know uh, the the um, not the remake that's that's still coming out, but they they released the uh, the update to System Shock, and that was that's a box copy that I bought from Limited Run Games, but um, yeah. the original System Shock still costs a fortune, so I don't know if that holds if that holds yeah. true. Um, yeah, anyway. I wish it did, but um, I think people you know collectors still still want the, the the original stuff. You know, they want the original stuff. Yeah. <laughs> what have you? How have you found it? Sort of working on. Well, you going from working on like original Xbox, you got extremely limited hardware. You got what I think it was sixty-four meg RAM. Yeah, I don't know what the what was the CPU like. Seven hundred thirty right? megahertz. Yeah, yeah. seven hundred thirty megahertz. Pentium three. Pentium three. Yeah. <laughs> how do you how do you find that sort of now you're working on, or it must seem like almost limitless hardware. You know, when you're porting games over to this stuff. I still have that mindset that I want things to be as. Um, optimized as possible you know mm. you know what i mean so i mean yeah it, it's so much nicer these days having having access to a lot more hardware a lot more ram but i'm always because i come from that that background i always think about you know the next line of code that i write is that is that the best way i can do it you know is it yeah. is it going to trash performance it's going to yeah. you know is it going to get in the cache <laughs> or is it going to mm-hmm. not get in the cache all that kind of stuff so um, I still have that, that, that mentality, you know, but it is nice to have, you know, obviously a lot more, um, resources at your disposal, you know, I feel like we should be giving all game devs, uh, you know, original Xboxes to, to, to code <laughs> on. So it makes them a bit more efficient. I mean, I mean yeah. it's funny you say that because, um, I guess on the flip side of, of, you know, my experience is I don't know anything about like unity and unreal. Right. I mean, I know a little bit about those, those engines. Right. But, um, so if you, if you said, okay, you know, whip up a a 3d scene in in unity, I'd spend like a whole week trying to figure it out, but I could code it in OpenGL or in Vulkan or in DirectX probably in a couple of days, you know, and and have it all running. So I don't know, you know, if, if I'm a relic of, you know, uh, of the old school, but, um, I do know that, you know, um, having, having programming skills is still very important these days in in game development, especially when it comes to optimizing and, and understanding, you know, how things are done, um, under the, under the covers, you know. Well, I was going to, yeah, I was just going to ask if you had dabbled in Unreal or Unity at all. Done a little bit, but um, it's not really why I was hired. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. There are far more experienced people that that do that stuff, um, yeah. and and f- much better people. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's you know, it, it's from the sort of '90s and early 2000s era where it was you had to well either it was very difficult to license out an engine. It was almost like you had to build it in house. Yep. And then you know you went from there. So. I think, yeah, you're right. It probably does make you code and think more efficiently with, with the limited resources that you have, whereas you've got Unity and Unreal devs now and 
they don't worry about any of that stuff. They just throw everything yeah. in the scene and then yeah. they get it working. And then, you know, they'll, they'll try optimize and cut back from there once they figure out that they've hit this sort of bottleneck. So <laughs> until you get yeah. to courting. Yeah. Until you get to yeah, courting. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying that, that, that my way is right and their way is wrong or their way is mm-hmm. right. And mine's mm-hmm. wrong. It, it's just a different way things are done. Yeah, um, for sure. You know, it's, it's just a much, much different process mm-hmm. that, um, you know, I mean, it, it works for AAA and, and, um, you know, most game developers will, will use those, those tools and why not? I mean, in, in some ways, you know, taking, taking the, I guess the, the code or the mm. coder out of the equation, um, really kind of helps you, you know, move, get things moving along versus yeah, sure. literally spending months building an engine that may hopefully, you know, is what you expected it to mm. be, you know? Yeah. And how have you found it? I mean, given that unity and unreal they've got these sort of i mean they built they built for collaborative work have you found it sort of working in that almost older you know way of working uh, mm-hmm. or different way of working um now that you're sort of having to collaborate with a lot of other people at night dive the team has been um has been awesome to work with most of them have similar experience to me as far as what their skills are. Some of them are more um, proficient with like 3D APIs than than, than what I would mm-hmm. be. Um, but you know, there's others that um, like we have a, a networking guy that 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 that's what he does. I mean, he adds mm-hmm. you know networking support to all the titles that we that we work on. But um, we all work very well together. You know, it's basically everyone's virtual. So there's no, there's no office. Um, It's a virtual company and we have employees that work around the world. So we basically just, um, we collaborate through, you know, through zoom, through discord, through Skype and, and, and teams and things like that. Um, We have, but it's, it's, you know, it, it feels like a, just a regular software dev team that I've, I've worked in, you know, with just regular jobs in the past. So, um, you know, everyone has their own tasks to do and it, it, it works well, you know, it's, it's good chemistry there, you know? Yeah. Awesome. In terms of your YouTube channel, what are are you, are you facing any challenges now with it or what's, what's, what's next for the, for the future? What sort of videos can we expect to see? Um, challenges, not really. I mean, YouTube, the, the landscape always is changing. Um, if you're a content creator, you, you probably have experienced some of those changes. Um, but none of them really affect me in, in any way. As far as what's coming, I, I don't really know. Like, um, you know, a lot of you people bet, think yeah, that I've you, got some, yeah, how some do you plan like your, your videos master plan or something, yeah. but I really don't, man. Like I, I mean, that's not entirely true. I do have a couple of ideas that, that I kind of throw around in my head about the next video. And some, in some cases I've already like half done written videos that, that, you know, I, I complete, but I don't have this like roadmap of what, what is coming over the next like three or four months or six months, whatever feels right at the time, you know, I'll, I'll do. And, um, I think that that's part of what keeps the channel so interesting, you know, mm. like I'm not just getting into a routine where I'm doing like uh, a review of something or, um, you know, um, I'm doing a uh, let's play of a video yeah. game or something like I'm always thinking about something interesting to, to, to bring to the audience. So with that, man, yeah, I, 
I, I, I literally don't have a video for this week lined up yet. Like yeah, I yeah, just yeah. finished the, the last one. So, um, but usually I, I do have a, um, a, like a, a schedule that I work through. So it's Monday night over here in the US right now. Yeah. So my the video that I just released just dropped earlier today, um, last night for, for Australia. But um, I usually take this, like tonight's my night off. I don't even think about YouTube, mm-hmm. right? And then... Mm-hmm. By like Wednesday, I'm writing a script for the next video and then Thursday I'm filming um, the B-roll and then Friday I'm working on um, the audio. So, you know, I've, I've got like a set set schedule that I stick to every week and um, it seems to work. So so really the process is, um, you know, you'll be messing around with, with a certain thing or you'll be looking at a certain topic and it would just be whatever really is piqued your interest yeah. for that week. Yeah, and the one that I just released um, yesterday – that that was something that I started a couple of weeks ago, but the Nintendo leaks came in, and yeah. um, that was that was something that I felt like I had to cover. So sure. in some instances, I'll I'll put something to the side and and bring bring something in that's kind of more relevant because, you know, there's there's some stories that 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 need to be covered pretty quickly, and yeah. that was definitely one of them. What have you found of the videos that people engage with or love the most? I think the ones that that people like the most are the the hacking ones. Um, the one that has the most views is the the Nintendo Wii was hacked with a pair of tweezers video. Um, that's got like two point five million views on wow. on on the. Ch- it's it's my most watched video. Yeah. And so those stories of how things were hacked, you know, like the companies like Sony, Microsoft, Nintendo, the amount of security that they put into their old consoles only for yeah. them to be completely obliterated. Yeah. Um, I think, I think a lot of people really are interested in those stories, you know, yeah. it's, it's like a, it's like a, it's like you're watching a narrative or something, you know what I mean? Cause it's right. They, they prepare so much and then it's just, Oh, someone found this exploit doing this. And uh, yeah, it's just opens a whole door to some other stuff. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. Um, do you get time to play many games nowadays? Or occasionally. Um, I'm a gamer and I've always have been, yeah. but you know, time is, is very valuable these days um, between the different things I do. But I, I, I still play the occasional game. Like I, I just finished Ghost of Shishima on the PS4. Awesome. Um, played a lot. I mean, most of the AAA games I'll, I'll at least start. Hopefully I'll, I'll get around to finishing. Um, but I don't really play games as anywhere near as much as I used to, yeah. unfortunately. What, what sort of games are you playing now? I know you mentioned uh, Last of Us and the other one yep. as well. Yeah, I played played those two um, on the Switch. Uh, I I, play, I started playing Paper Mario, which um, it's not my favorite game, but it's it's pretty cool. Um, but other than that, I like the retro stuff. You know, like yeah. I usually go back to emulation and I'll I'll fire up Mame or. Um, Super Nintendo or PlayStation One. Uh, yeah. I like the classics, and I always yeah, have. Yeah. No, and that's that's kind of the bread and butter stuff that I like. What is the what is the the older generation console that you keep frequenting or going back to to play old school games? Oh man, that's a tough question. I, I kind of go through phases um, yeah. with with stuff. Like, What's the phase it, now? <laughs> it's Dreamcast right Dreamcast, now, believe yeah. it or not. Yeah. Um, so I've got that retro fighters stick, uh, which yeah. is like just looks like a regular, you know, pro controller. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I've been kind of going through the Dreamcast catalog again and yeah. enjoying that. So that's that's been awesome. I really like the Dreamcast. I've got mm. a soft spot for it. Um, I, I love that system so much. But I mean, that'll probably change, you know, in a couple of weeks. You know, it'll probably be PS2 or GameCube or yeah. something else. You know. Have you done any development on the Dreamcast before? I actually have have not. Um, 
Dreamcast was it came out just a little bit before the original Xbox. Um, I followed the scene very closely, and yeah. I've had I've had some thoughts about doing stuff with it, um, like recently, like I mm-hmm. said. Super Mario 64 and uh, I was thinking about maybe porting Diablo to it and, yeah. and you know, dabbling with it, but I kind of want to get my hands on a, a Katana development kit and the price of those things They're are expensive. ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so if, if any of your listeners is, is telling one, <laughs> let me know. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I definitely would like to, uh, to, to mess around with the Dreamcast. Um, I think it's a really interesting piece of hardware for sure. Yeah, and I know that um, they had uh, Windows CE libraries on there that you could utilize to to build games on. Yeah, and and you had the uh, the BBA as well. You can do it through mm-hmm. that. I'm pretty sure you can sort of develop through through the BBA. Yeah, I've got a I've got a BBA. Um, look, there's really no reason why I don't do it. Uh, I could probably set up a you know a, a homebrew dev kit yeah. with with a, a retail Dreamcast and a BBA. I just you know, I just don't have yeah. the time, honestly. Yeah, yeah, Maybe yeah, one yeah. day I'll, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll get something out on there. But everyone that does Dreamcast projects, I'm, I'm like really, really, you know, um, in awe of because mm. it's such a cool system. And yeah. they, they keep releasing games for it, which is which yeah. is awesome. That's what I was going to say. It's It's got like, I always see uh, Kickstarters which result in Dreamcast games. Like this, they're still pumping them out and people are still paying for them, which is just Definitely. insane to think of, you know, so many for years sure. later. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Well, that's uh, everything I have to <laughs> to ask about. Yeah. Well, th- thanks for coming on. Amazing. I love. I'm loving the beard now. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It's the it's the COVID beard. <laughs> yeah, the COVID <laughs> beard yeah. <laughs> cool. Uh, thank you for coming on. Um, yeah. Awesome. We'll, we'll keep watching. Uh, how can how can people reach out to you? Yeah, if you want to reach out to me, um, you can find me on Twitter at Modern Vintage G. Uh, my DMs are open, um, so feel free to DM me. I, I I do sometimes get busy and I don't respond to everyone, but I usually try. I mean, I read everything. I'll usually try to get back to you if I haven't. Otherwise, YouTube, Modern Vintage Gamer, um, you'll find me there. Um, Instagram, Facebook, um, just, just search for me. You'll find me there as well. Awesome. So if you need any old games ported uh reach out to one vintage gamer <laughs> no port requests no port requests <laughs> put it in uh, brackets port request <laughs> awesome awesome thank you for that